I was like, well, what do I need to do? And what I figured out is relationships serve you best when serving, when looking for a job. So when I was younger, I remember looking at LinkedIn, I was like, oh, who are the people that are going to help me get into, in front of a decision maker? This is Chan with The Plan, the podcast, a podcast providing career advice and easy, actual steps for frustrated professionals, helping you overcome career challenges so you stop feeling confused and defeated and start feeling focused and confident in order to excel in your career. I'm your host, Max Chan. Now let's dive into the episode. Hey, Stuart, welcome to the show. Hey, Max. Thank you. Thank you for having me on here. And you're in uh, California, right? Yeah, in Berkeley. Is yeah. that school of music, right? Berkeley Music? Is it that school? No, that's in that's in Berkeley School of Music. I think's in Boston. Oh, actually. okay. So that, yeah, yeah. They, just, they just took they just took the name. Just, uh, yeah, they seem to even spell it a little bit differently. And funny enough, I used to live in Boston, so I that's why I know that. But yeah, no, I'm I'm in Berkeley, California, and um, right across the bay from San Francisco. Nice and. Yeah. For anybody who's listening right now who wants to travel, what's there to do in that area? Well, so much. Besides avoiding fires, <laughs> the, the most important thing to do, I think, is in Berkeley, there's a place called the Gourmet Ghetto, which is, has a lot of really great restaurants. Chez Panisse, which is sort of a well-known restaurant from Alice Waters, is, is in Berkeley. And there's lots of really great food. It's a college town, so there's, a lot, there's like the gamut of food from like the really cheap but nutritious and filling lots of it into the really high end, you know, kind of fine dining experience. So when you were an underdog, you had the, you had to take the cheap food, right? But then you overcame all the odds and now you're eating at the fine dining restaurants, right? Well, no, neither. Now when I was an underdog, I cooked my own food, <laughs> right? Because that was the cheapest, most inexpensive thing to do. And now I find still in my later years in life that it's still the most important thing to cook the most nutritious food for yourself yeah because restaurants they they kill it with a lot of oil right and it's a lot of oil a lot of sugar and and, you know really there's really great restaurants i'm not saying the food isn't good or even healthy but the best way to control what you intake is to make it yourself absolutely yeah and speaking of like the job search the main goal is you, you don't want to rely on people to help you out you want to take control and have an action plan to get the job you want right Yes, absolutely. And well, the thing about a job search, and we can sort of dive into this a little bit. When I was, I don't know, in my 30s, I remember looking for jobs. At the time, I was an agile coach. Breaking into that industry without much experience at the time was really hard. And there are things that I learned, which is really be able to take rejection and not take it personally. It was really hard to apply for a job that you really wanted that you know you'd be great at and you get the sort of response that says, thanks for interviewing, but we've identified another candidate. And after a while, I learned how to not take that personally. And one of the things that I did is I would then ask the recruiter, hey, is there anything that I could have done different or what's what's the lessons learned? And so treating every job interview as an experiment to get either better at interviewing or get a better at networking there's lots of different ways to develop your skill at looking for a job. But it first starts with getting over that that fear of hearing a no. I, I read your bio before we spoke and uh-huh. you were a college dropout. So you had even more of a disadvantage compared to college grads with no experience. So you have 
college grads with no experience, and then you don't have a college degree and you have no experience. So you also, so you were actually way behind the eight ball compared to college grads, right? So why don't you walk us through the story of like going rolling to college and then what happened in terms of like you dropping out and then yeah, avenues. Well, when I first started my college career, because I did go to college for a little bit, what I found is that the structure of college, and I always struggled in school, but the structure of college isn't necessarily designed to learn. It's designed to really give you a bunch of information that you then you know, regurgitate and take a test. I'll say that for undergrad, maybe grad school, I've heard of people having amazing grad school experiences where it was more of a learning environment. But what I found is I learned best by sort of flitting around and picking up information in different areas. And so I went to school, I went to a number of different schools and came out of that thinking, well, there's gotta be something better. But while I was trying to figure that out, I worked in printing or, you know, I did some other jobs that weren't necessarily compelling. And I don't think, you know, one thing I definitely want to make sure, being a college dropout isn't necessarily making you behind the eight ball. It means that you have to use your mind in much different ways and you have to learn differently. And so one of the things I found was my, that was my strength from a lot of people who were college grads is that I didn't have the assumption that I had the right answer. What I knew is I had to go figure it out, read a book, and try different things. Experimentation was a super important thing of being finding a job that, that works for me. And I went up against people who were had their bachelor's, sometimes had their master's. I remember one time I was an actual coach for in a company with a bunch of PhDs. What I, what I found out is that if I can learn faster than they are interacting with me, then I can actually be ahead of the curve and match their knowledge, if that makes sense. So I'm trying to learn faster than the curve of change. And that requires lots of reading, lots of experimentation, and being okay with being completely wrong, going back to being okay with rejection. Like, I was wrong lots of times. I was like, okay, I'm wrong. Let me go figure it out. Let me go learn something. Yeah, the, the problem with the education system, in my opinion, is when it comes to getting marks, you're either right or you're wrong. In the real world, there is no right or wrong. It's uh, different approaches. Like One of the things that I've learned in marketing is that there is no right answer. It's all a guessing game. It's whoever guesses the closest, right? And you're always trying to reiterate the process because different creative, because creative might not resonate as much as it used to. What I'm trying to say is, let's say you launch some uh, marketing campaign in April, but if you don't change up to creative, it might not work as well in December. So you always have to change it up. So it's always a reiterate process in life compared to education where it's right or wrong. So then when new grads go into their first job, there is that hint of perfectionism where they're trying to make sure it's right, but there isn't really a right answer. Yeah, there is. Not only there isn't a really right answer and there's not really a right way. And I feel that when I came, what I learned coming, especially when I was getting into tech and, and sort of in these more rarefied spaces is that people would say, my resume is going to get me the job. And I learned very quickly, your resume is one of probably three or 400 resumes that somebody is filtering for. And so the, even if you have the best credentials, sometimes you won't make, make it past that initial filtering system. And so uh, I was like, well, what do I need to do? And what I figured out is relationships serve you best when serving, when looking for a job. So when I was when I was younger, I remember looking at LinkedIn. And I was like, "Oh, who are the people that are going to help me get into in front of a decision maker?" And it's not necessarily even the hiring manager; it's the person that's actually hiring for the job. And so, meetups were really great to go meet people. 
I took a lot of course. So, you know, it's not like I just sort of showed up at a job and said, hire me. Like I did a lot of reading and a lot of investigating of what the job would take. And so I would always be prepared for some of the questions because I would have what I would have an idea. What are they going to ask me? So what am I going to say when they ask me those questions? There's a guy actually, Ramit Sethi, who wrote a book called I'll Teach You to Be Rich. And what I loved about his approach, which I adopted a little pieces of it, but it's that this idea of write something down so that you have, you're prepared and you feel like you're okay with the answers that you're going to make. So for tech companies, for example, I had to learn about product really quickly. And so I worked and talked to a lot of product managers. I had to learn about engineering and the fights between product and engineering. That really was a struggle. When I got into coaching and executive coaching in particular, I had to learn about the struggles of being a leader. And I actually started my own little web development company and learned by School of Hard Knocks how to be a leader in that environment. And so I could share that with the people that I was coaching. So really it's about experimentation and trying different things. So why, why don't you walk us through your first job search? Was there a discovery period between uh, driving out of college and getting your first job or did you find a job right away or what was the approach and walk us through that journey? Yeah, when, when I first dropped out of college, I got into printing, as I said. And so I worked for, back in Boston, I worked for, a, I don't even, even know if it's still around, CopyCop. They, they were a printing company. And, you know, I was thinking about this. In retrospect now, there are some great lessons I learned from printing, which is you do something right before you actually get the output. Because in printing, the immediacy is if you put something on there and it's not right, it shows up pretty quickly that you've made a mistake. So preparation is key. You prepare whatever you're doing, and then you're you're going for that job. And I'll never forget this. I'm 20 something years old. I go to my first printing and uh, you know job interview. I've never been to a job interview before. I mean, I worked for companies in, when I was a kid in high school, and I showed up in shorts, a ripped t-shirt, and a medallion. And the guy said, "You know, you're not really dressed for a job interview." And I was like, "Really?" Because I I, had no, I didn't know. I had no idea. But in the course of conversation, because I was like interested in printing, I talked about paper and could, you know, I didn't know the machines, for example, but I knew a little bit about the, the printing process. He said, I'll give you a shot. So I think for a lot of people who are going and looking for their first job, it's not the end all be all for that job. It's really the idea that it's going to be a stepping stone for something else. And you learn as much as you can on that job, you know. And how long did you stay there? And what was the progression at the company there for you? Yeah, I stayed there for about, God, maybe three years, met a lot of people. But one of the key things in being a job seeker is being insatiably curious. So I was curious about the different machines. I was like, how does this work? Why does this work? Teach me how to do this. And for a lot of people who are overworked, having somebody say, hey, let me learn this so I can help you. They're excited to teach you and you learn how to do that process. So I made myself invaluable pretty quickly. I remember one time, a couple of jobs later, when I was here in San Francisco, I knew everything from how to get a document from a computer to electronic press to take that then output and make it into a booklet on a, on a binding machine. And each of those were specialized things, but I learned each of those different steps, right? And so learning each of the different steps allowed me to have, when I would go for other job interviews, they're like, you know this, you know this, you know this, and they were like, surprise. And I wasn't coming off as a sort of a one-trick pony. I was actually coming off as a pretty well-rounded individual. What's your opinion in terms of 
should you be a generalist where you have a wide variety of skills or be really focused on something specific? It's a great question. I think it's more about what serves you and what you're interested in. For me, it's, I like learning lots of different things. I'm a great generalist, but I've had to deep dive in human potential, coaching, executive coaching, because that is the profession that I've been in for the last 15 years. There's some people who really resonate with one. I've, you know, I've met a, a bunch of engineers, for example, and there's some engineers who really focus on one deep thing. But I always tell people, don't focus on one thing to the exclusion of everything else, because then you become pigeonholed or siloed. You know, have a have a broad knowledge of a bunch of different things, and then yeah, have your deep dive into the thing that you're totally interested in. For a lot of, as I said, I keep going back to tech. But, you know, if you're a front-end engineer and you're learning about JavaScript or if you're a back-end engineer and you're learning about some of the, you know, I remember doing C++ and C Sharp or .NET or any of those sort of programming languages. Obviously, anybody who's a programmer will, will listen to this and go, wow, it's been a while since you programmed because <laughs> I'm talking about technologies that are probably, you know, I don't know, 10 years old at this point. I'm sure there's people who are still developing those. But, yeah, they, but you, 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 get a, you get a deep knowledge in the area that interests you, but you also learn a little bit about the areas around you, as I said, because then it supports both you and the team, and then you become invaluable to that organization. And you'll get, and then when you go to it, for example, if you go for another job interview, you can say, well, not only do I know my speciality, but I also know this, this, and this. And they're like, oh, wow, we definitely want to have you because you're well-rounded. So as you're aware, there's a lot of layoffs right now, and then talk of yeah. the recession. And a lot of people are fearing for their jobs and you're talking about like how to be invaluable with your at your company. Uh, mm -hmm. One of them would be to have a wide set of skills mm -hmm. to diverse your portfolio. Uh, what other recommendations do you have in terms of someone wanting to become more invaluable, more indispensable at their current company so they are more protected during potential layoffs? Yeah, network within the company. I mean, I've worked with people with 100 person teams and the company was probably about 300 people, right? But if I knew a lot of different people within the organization, somehow you get protected because you're a known quantity. When I worked in big, large enterprises with, you know, 5,000, 10,000 people, I would network within the company and it would allow me to job hop from area or division to division. But ultimately, as I said, be curious, be helpful, but don't give so much of yourself that you're depleted. I think that's one of the things I'll offer to job seekers, which is I've seen on LinkedIn, for example, People said, I've been searching for a job for three months and I haven't gotten a job yet. And I would, you know, for the people that I know who have, who have said that, I've said, well, what have you been doing? Well, I've sent 600 resumes. I'm like, that's not the way you're going to get a job, right? The, the, the job is going to be a relationship. It's going to be networking. It's going to be connecting to people. So the same thing applies internally as well as externally. Relationship, 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 and make sure you network with as many people as possible. And in an authentic way, not just like schmoozy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and the truth is, when it comes to uh, hiring, they really don't want to hire external candidates. Uh, sure. It goes back to like, who you know, right? So internal candidates usually get highest priority because they know the business and there's a good chance that they already know the hire manager. And then yeah. the next phase would be the referral. Again, someone who knows someone because now there's that, the person vouched, the person working at the company vouched for this external applicant. So now the That's hiring right. manager is willing to give them a shot. And then you have the cold candidate who doesn't know anybody in the company and just applying a line and then the recruiters screening them in six to 10 seconds. So you're always right. going to be at a disadvantage applying online compared to, as you said, networking, knowing people in the company or knowing people at your target company in order to help them bring you in, right? Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you a story. I, 
I worked for a company, Salesforce, actually. And for anybody who doesn't know, Salesforce invests a lot in its people to train them. And there's good and bad for working for Salesforce, but I found it, a, for me, a great learning opportunity. I learned a lot of things. I made a lot of mistakes, but I also excelled in a lot of things. And I, it was a great environment for me at the time. But when I first applied for Salesforce, I was in a cattle call. People, uh, the recruiter sent out, I think they went on through LinkedIn and said, hey, we're having this open house event. Come in if you want to work for Salesforce. And I came in and there was probably 600 people. I may be exaggerating, but there's a lot of people in the space. And people were talking to us and they're evaluating us. And it was like, this isn't a very conducive experience for me to show who I am. And so I didn't get, I applied for a couple of jobs and I didn't get in. Two years later, I worked for another company. Two years later, I applied to Salesforce again, but this time I had met the hiring person, the person who was making the decision about hiring in a meetup. And you know, I, I give that person lots of props because not only did I tell them I didn't have a degree, but they were excited about the fact that I knew all these different things and I was super excited about the domain that I was in. And so I remember texting her and saying, so I'm really excited to apply, but you know, I don't have a degree. And she responded, thanks for letting me know. I'm going to go check with the recruiter. And of course, I'm sweating bullets now because I'm like, oh God, there's my chance. I'm not going to get the job. And she comes back and says, talk to the recruiter. We're excited about your skill and experience, not your certification or not your degree. So welcome aboard. And I was like, that was a, that was a huge moment for me to realize and once again, it's about the relationship and showing your skill as opposed to having the degree or the certificate that, that validates you. To go through that, to continue with that point, I know a few professionals that don't have a degree and they think not having a degree is a hindrance. So they're actually going back to school to get their bachelor's. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I'm a little bit older. So <laughs> at this point, I don't think I'm ever going to go back to school to get a bachelor's because I don't need that. What I am interested in is lots is learning lots of different things. So I collect knowledge, I write down notes, and that's important to me. I think it depends on the person. If it's important to you to get a bachelor's, then go ahead and do it. If that makes you feel good and that helps you feel at least a little bit of peace of mind. The problem is that getting a bachelor's at this point probably incurs a lot of debt. You're probably going to pay a lot of money to get a bachelor's, to get a job. And that doesn't make sense to me. Like I, I don't, that I don't, I didn't have college debt. My, my partner, she had lots of college debt. And I remember like watching her and we were like paying it down. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is crazy. And you know, we finished paying that college debt, like in our forties, <laughs> that's, that's, that's a long time to be saddled with that kind of debt. And if you're in, if you're in your thirties or forties going back to college and you're going to incur that kind of debt, that, I'm not sure if that's the right thing. I think my offer would be, what can you do to make yourself invaluable in the organization? Because there's lots of people I know who were engineers or who were you know, VPs in companies who, didn't have, who don't have a college degree, but people trust them and respect them. And so they're not going anywhere. And they're staying with that company till the company sinks or they retire. Right. So they, that's where they're going to stay. And so people respond and respect that kind of loyalty most of the time, most of the time, I should say. So I, I would of, say just be careful about about going back and getting a degree. Speaking of loyalty, there's, there seems to be a lot of hey, what's your opinion on job hopping is what I'm trying to say. Right. Like there seems like there's arguments saying like 
if you stay loyal to a company, you're actually losing money because if you job hop, you get 10 to 20% right away compared to yearly increases that are just to help with adjusting with inflation. Oh, so there's that big debate between where you stay at a company for a long term or job hop to maximize salary. What's your thoughts on that? And is there really a right approach or it depends on the person? Well, my the way that I job hopped, and I did for a period of time, my, my, I have a kid who's, who's in her teens and my, my family laughs that I've had almost a job every time, every, every job a year <laughs> that she was alive, right? Some jobs that were a little bit longer. In good times, job hop to find the, the right place for you, but think ahead, where do I need to land in order to be secure if there's a, if there's a recession coming? All this to say, it depends on the person, but if you job hop, there's two things you need to do. One, you need to have a really good explanation of why your time at a company seems to be shorter than most in your industry. So for example, in tech, people working for longer than two or three years within a company is considered exemplary and people are really excited about that. And I feel like that's like dog years. <laughs> for every year that you work in tech, it's like seven years in, the, in some other industries, right? So, so people drop, jumped around a lot. But I think if you're jumping around because you're constantly dissatisfied, then look at why you're so dissatisfied as opposed to I'm job hopping because I want to get the next level of understanding or the next level of title, leadership, money, if that makes sense. Because there are people who job hop, they're like, this sucks and rage quit. And then they go to the next thing. And then they say, this sucks. And then they rage quit. And I'm like, why is that happening to you all the time? So it depends on the person, I think. But I really would want to make sure that anybody who does job hop, and I don't know if I even like the term job hop, maybe for the term person who's like moving from job to job knows why they're doing it. Going back to what you said about people not staying in tech that long, right? Why is that the case? Because everybody wants to work in tech. If you, if you go on LinkedIn, FANG's a big word, a big acronym of the, the five big tech companies. And everybody wants to work at these companies, but yet the tenure at these companies are, as you said, uh, only a few years. So why do these companies why do these people at these tech companies leave so soon compared to other industries? Usually there isn't enough experience. There's, there isn't enough growth. And most of the people that I want to learn and grow pretty quickly, not necessarily, you know, get promoted, but they want to learn new, interesting things. And I think a lot of companies make the mistake of saying, good, I have a front-end engineer. They're going to stay a front-end engineer. I don't want to think about that person moving or progressing. So just make sure that they stay there. And that person, after two years of doing the same things, they'd be like, hey, I've got what I need to get out of this. So now I want to do something really interesting or really different. And so when you try and limit people's ability to grow and learn, so there's a lot of work. People talk about intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation, right? So if you're, if you're self-motivated to learn, you're not going to want to stay in a place that's going to try and limit your learning. Certainly, you should learn on the outside. You should learn for your own sake of learning. But you want to apply that knowledge to work that's in front of you. So in tech, I think a lot of times people will try and limit people's ability to grow. Leaders will, I would say. And so that's why you'll find people moving because they want to try and get a new, learn a new language or um, switch from one domain to another. And I think even in any company, you should create systems that allow movement within the organization so that your company not only builds institutional knowledge, but you also build resilience. Because if somebody's in your organization that knows this thing and then moved on something, moved on to another area and learned that another different area, 
something happens in the first area, that person can go back and train somebody else and they're happy to, usually, as long as they get to go back and do the original thing that they're really excited about. So if, if anything else, I would offer organizations to really create systems where people can learn and move around an organization if they want to. To add to that point, why can't these people just move to another team internally uh, in tech? Because a lot of people in other industries that are working in like larger companies, they move around in different positions. Have yeah, these yeah. people usually explore or they realize that it's usually the same thing and then they just do something else and leave the company? Sometimes it's usually the same thing and they leave the company. Sometimes they're not getting the the accolades that they're looking for and not necessarily like promotion or, 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 you know, salary increase could be anything else. Like, Hey, good job. Like, Hey, good job. goes a long way for a lot of people, right? You're doing great. Thanks for staying that extra, the doing that, that extra thing. And what I, I remember learning from somebody in a workshop I went to is that people have a certain amount of discretionary effort. There's your job and then there's your discretionary effort. And if you don't learn how to tap into that so that people want to use that discretionary effort for the job, then they're going to probably leave and find something else that really gets them excited. Got it. And going back to your personal story, you did you go from printing to tech or did you do printing and do another industry then into tech? So how were you able to pivot into yeah. tech without prior tech experience? Well, basically, I got lucky. And I think I'll just offer that. Is there's, there's timing and luck. I was in San Francisco working in tech. I worked for a little bit. In, this, in, in Atlanta. And then I came back and I was like, well, what is there? I mean, I've done this tech thing. I mean, this printing thing. So what's this tech thing? And I ended up working for a division of Bank of America, the securities division, because they were looking for what you're calling product support. But what it really was, was learning how to, was learning how to pay attention to the uh, trading application and helping clients with their trading, like making trades. And I got into that and I was fascinated by this. This is really interesting. I didn't know how you made a trade before, prior to that. And it was just by chance that I happened to get this gig. And it was, uh, I mean, I want to say in between that, I was working at a temp agency at a law firm for a period of time. I did some small temp printing jobs, but I knew that was what I wanted to do. And I applied for a bunch of different places. And once again, I got rejected and, you know, <laughs> had to not take it personally and keep going. But then once I got into this, 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 banking gig and this product support gig, I was, I was hooked. So what I did was I learned as much about the job that I could do and then all the functions around it. And I don't want to bore you with all and, and your listeners with all the, all the things that I learned, but you know, there's like, I learned how to make a trade. Great. Then I learned how to, to ingest all the data into the system. The S 400 systems that we're using. That was great. And then I learned how, you know, so I was learning how to, all these different things. So I was, I'm curious, like be curious. If you're a job seeker, be curious. Don't limit your scope just to the field that you're in. You might do really well in another field with the skills that you have. Like try lots of different things. And then I, the last thing I want to offer to you and to your to your listeners, one of the things I did that really helped me was I did this thing called the rejection game. And I think it's out there on the web somewhere. But the way that I played it was I was seeking no's. I was actually looking for no's. So I asked people, I remember calling some guy and said, hey, I want to be a VP of, I forget what the, the thing was. And he was like, wait, you don't have a college degree. You're not really that advanced in tech. You're not doing this thing. No. And I was like, great, thanks. But I asked all these different areas. And out of that, I started learning lots of information. I took notes on all the stuff that I was learning. Um, kind of haphazardly. It wasn't like it was organized in any sort of um, cohesive way. But it helped me think about where do I want to go. So, you know, go seek no's and get comfortable 
with getting a no. The other thing I always tell job seekers too, because I learned this pretty quickly, is don't self-select out of a job. If you look at a job and you see, and I mean, even HR recruiters say this, and if you see that you don't match everything on the job description, that's okay. Do you match 20%, 30%, 40%? Go, go find out and go at, apply for that job and let them tell you no, as opposed to you telling yourself no and not applying for that job. That's a good point. People tend to self-select themselves out as they, oh, I don't have all this experience. I'm going to go apply something else, right? But yeah. it's one of those things where if you do apply, you might not be qualified. If you don't apply at all, then you're definitely not qualified because they don't know you, right? So right. You, you always got to give yourself uh, the opportunity if there's a job that you're interested in that you should apply and see what happens. That's right. That's right. Because the worst thing that they can say is no. <laughs> like literally, that's the worst thing that they can say. I mean... I've had lots of crazy experiences, though, I'll just say. I remember one time I sent in a, my resume, and the person, and I find this the most offensive thing, as a younger person, sent in my resume, and the person marked up my resume as if it was like a like a, a English paper. These are the six spelling mistakes. You forgot this, you know, this set comma here. And I was like, if you're going to take that much time to make this point, why don't you reach out and talk to me? You know, that's, a, that's an I think for the other flip side of this, for, especially for job seekers, is you'll run across people who want to make their mission to make you feel bad. And you got to let that stuff roll off your back because they don't know you and they're making a point for their own self-gratification, not because they actually are connected to you. And if you're in relationship with somebody and somebody gives you that feedback, like you've talked to them, they're saying, hey, you should probably understand this. And that's that's a fine piece of feedback to take because you're in relationship. So um, I'll just offer that as well too, which is, you know, don't take, you know, don't be afraid to get to take a no and don't let a no that's really kind of mean or barbed land, like protect your yourself around that. So that leads to the, the next part of the conversation in terms of the rejection uh, in the yeah. job search, in, in your career or even, and in your personal life, you're going to get a lot of rejection. So how do you deal with rejection, whether it's a job search, whether it's at work, whether it's not landing a client? How do you deal with all that rejection? Well, usually the rejection is coming because they don't, I say this, there's not enough relationship or connection. Like people don't understand who you are. Or they, Or maybe you're not even the right fit. And so that's something you got to take into account as well, too. So especially now that I'm not looking for a job, but I, but I reach out to clients, you know, and talk to them about the, the work that I do. I don't take it personally. And I also don't make that person wrong or I don't make them bad or I don't vilify them. Because you never know. I've had people, as I said, the Salesforce story, they rejected me. And three years later, I got hired, right? And so always be appreciative, thankful, send a thank you note. Even if it doesn't land, even if nobody responds, it's okay. Because what will happen is you'll feel better and that person will remember you as a person who is thoughtful and kind. And as far as the rejection piece, I was lucky to have a lot. And i not lucky, but I also really carefully created a group of people around me that were mentors that could sort of help me walk, go through different things. And so I remember having a, a mentor and when I got rejected from sales for the first time, I was all mad because <laughs> so you get mad, right? You get, you get your feelings hurt. Oh my God, I can't believe it. They should have hired me. The, my mentor at the time said, well, you know, what's the next job that you're going to apply for? And what's the next job that you're going to apply for? And, what's, and what did you learn from that last job? That last job interview, what are you going to apply for next? And treating it that way, I think, takes a lot of the sting out of the rejection. It really takes it from the, 
personal to it's something that happens and it may be because of me as a person it may not but it's okay and i'm going to keep going so resiliency i think is the key to dealing with any rejection and how do you build that up slowly <laughs> carefully work on yourself you know and I'm, I'm probably biased you know i'm an executive and leadership coach so i really think about resilience for people journal be humble but not obsequious like don't don't bend over backwards for folks and be humble learn as much as you can especially if it's, it's if it's in a particular field have people you can talk to who are okay with you going that really pissed me off or that really sucked or you know i'm angry about this are okay with you showing emotion and then the next day try again and keep going because that's the only way that you're going you're gonna to get something that you want is to just keep trying yeah when it comes to the job search, the first couple of rejections, especially as a new grad, it would sting. But then over time, you'll get used to it, right? You'll get used to it. You build up a muscle, you build up a little bit of a thick skin, especially the rejections that are, you know, the automatic response. Like you send in your resume to some website and then you get the ba- the thing back that says, thank you so much for your for applying for this job, but we've identified better candidates, blah, 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 blah. And there's somebody's name and there's no way to contact that person. Just let that roll off your back. It, it gets harder when you go in for a couple of interviews and then they say, no, of course, then it's like, crap, I've invested some time. There's some hope that I have. I would also say one of the things that would really help rejection is to make sure that you're applying for multiple jobs and not putting your, all your eggs in one basket. And the reason why that really helps is I remember getting rejected from a job that I really wanted, but I had another offer and I was like, okay, well, I'm okay. And for right now, that's the job that I have. And it's an interesting shift if you're moving into client work where you're working with clients and sometimes clients don't choose you. And you're like, okay, but I've got all these other clients that I'm working with and it makes sense for me to help them, to work with them and help them. And this one client that didn't choose me for whatever reason, they didn't choose me. Maybe they'll choose me. Maybe we'll have some business together later on in time. Yeah, when it comes to job search, you can only work one job. So you only get one yes, right? So it's one of those things like the more no's you get, the more no's you get, the closer you get to that yes. That's true, but I'll just say you can the 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 skill that I don't know if I developed it or but the thing that I really remember a couple of times is when I had multiple job offers because I did all the work in relationship building, I did all the work in figuring out how to interview, I did all the work in researching the company. That's one of the things that I learned really quickly. Research the company that you're applying for. Don't just show up cold. Know like who are the people, who are the who are the leaders. What are their values? What do they like? Have a little bit of, spend 20 minutes surfing their website. If you have multiple job offers, then that yes is way more satisfying because you've done the work. And it doesn't mean that you're gonna have a great experience with that company, but it just feels great going into that company, right? Because you're like, I've done all this work and now I know that I'm going to start this job that I really have chosen because this is the yes that I wanted. Go back to what you said about building your network. Having a support network is essential to help you with your job search from both a supportive and a mental perspective. What is your recommendations in building that network to not only help you push through a hard job search process, but also build up your net worth over time? Well, pre-pandemic meetups were the best way for me to build my network. Curating your LinkedIn, and LinkedIn is great for that, which is really who are the people that are on your LinkedIn? I've gone through and pruned my LinkedIn list over time, and I've really curated the people that I want not to be on my LinkedIn list. For example, my thing is 
if I put out a post on LinkedIn, would I get a would I get responses back from people? Meaning, if I was like, "Hey, I'm looking for a job or I'm looking for a client," and I've done that, and and it's actually been really useful. Meetups, LinkedIn, take courses if you can. I mean, now with Zoom and everybody being online, it's a lot easier to take courses. Build up a network of like-minded folks. There's been a number of times I've taken courses. I remember taking an agile certification course at UC Berkeley, and I met a bunch of people, and one of those people introduced me to their company, and that's how I got a job. So there's multiple ways, but once again, going back to be relational, but not schmoozy about it. You really want to be intentional about creating relationships with people that you like or that you resonate with. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah. Uh, so a comment. So I've had people reach out to me on LinkedIn for uh, networking, right? And it's one of those things that they're going through the motions and then they ask me, oh, do you know any openings? It's, yeah. it's one of those things that I, I know that they're going to ask me it, but the way they ask it is like they're just going through the motions to ask me it, not like they're actually interested in me and then want me to help them out, right? So there is a fine yeah. line. So how would you give advice to someone? Uh, what advice would you give someone that wants to network, but... Don't, don't know how to approach it without making it obvious or or sounding smoothy when it comes to their agenda. Well, I've got to say, even though I was talking about curating LinkedIn, I've never responded or gotten great results from just like reaching out to people coldly. So people who reach out to me, I'm like, who are you? I, I don't know who you are. So I'm, like, if you're going to ask me for a job, I'm going to be like, go to this person, good luck, you know, but I'm not going to connect with them. I would just say, I would go back to try and find spaces where you can be in connection with folks. So do volunteer work, do pro bono work while you're looking for a job. It keeps your mind busy. You never know. People have gotten jobs doing pro bono work in a lot of places. Be open to doing speculative work if you trust the person that you're doing the speculative work for. Like don't just go out and do speculative work for, for people which means you're not getting paid right away, but you get paid at the end if somebody likes it. Don't do that with, with everybody. Do that with very targeted people that you want to connect with. As I said, you know, online classes, once you build that relationship with somebody, then connect with them online. And, I, and I, I, I'll just say, I'll go back a little bit. I just realized I have connected with people that I don't know on LinkedIn, but I have like 12 people that we all know in common, right? So it's like they're looking at me like, well, you know, so-and-so and so-and-so, and I trust those people. And that's the, the, the power of LinkedIn is, is having those weak tie connections. The way I tell folks, weak tie connections are sometimes better than strong tie connections. Sometimes it's the friend of a friend who will refer you more than the friend that more than the friend that you have. And that is, there's a lot of theory and and, and um, studies that have been done around that. But it really is the idea that you're betting on the relational goodwill that that person has for the intermediary between you and that person. Yeah, going back to what you said about reaching out to people online, right? The issue is that there's so much noise, so many people e emailing, DMing. Yeah. If you really want to find influential people, you have to go to where they go, right? And yeah. it might yeah. be a volunteer organization, a charity event. Those are more of the areas that you should focus on, not just sitting on your computer and just DMing and hoping for the best, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that kind of indiscriminate networking might give you the results, but it's a long-term play. And I think... If you're looking for shorter term results, really reach out to the people that you know. Ask, you know, your friend who may know somebody else, hey, is there somebody you can introduce me to? And you'd be surprised who knows who or whose mother went to high school with somebody else or whose uncle, you know, or whose friend or whose grandmother or who the, you know, the, the person that 
that you babysat for a long time ago. You never know those connections. So appropriately and thoughtfully mind those connections. Because I've also seen people just like in their desperation and fear really try and push everything. And it turns people off. It really does. If you're like, you owe me or I'm desperate, please help me. Right. Which it shouldn't, in all honesty, like you should be able to help people, but we only have a limited amount of attention and everybody has busy lives or lives that they're living. And so sometimes you can't help the person that needs to help the most. In my opinion, I think we're all in the attraction game. Yeah. You are who you attract, right? So how, so what are some pieces of advice that you can give someone in terms of building themselves up to attract the right people that they want to network and be a part of in their circle? Yeah. Be yourself. Really be yourself. I remember when I first started, I thought I had to be a certain way. And especially for the people who are underrepresented in tech, for example, that's a surefire recipe for really kind of not harming yourself, but really clouding who you are. So be yourself. Don't be afraid to go to talk to anybody and see if there's a connection. Try as many different experiments to create connection with people as possible as, as we talked about all the different ways you can. And there's no quick way to do this. It takes time. And you'll build up a reputation over time and people will either seek you out based on who you are. And you'll build up a cadre of folks around you, but it's not going to happen overnight. So maybe think of a, a three, six, one year plan to create the network that you want. Who are the people that you want to, to be introduced to? What are the ways that you can get introduced to them? Read all the different things uh, online. So don't take my word for it. If, if you want to try different ways of like reaching out to people, then go ahead and try it and then see what are the results. But I think more than anything else, be intentional and take responsibility for the results that you want to get by trying different things. And you're in your current career, you are managing partner, right? At Evolution? I'm a managing partner at Evolution, correct. Correct. So how do you hire people when you're looking to build your team? What do you look for exactly? There's a, such a long story there about hiring at Evolution because we don't really hire people. We're more of a collective of folks. But we're looking for people who have a strong sense of depth and presence about themselves. And the way that they get that is by doing work internally and communally. So as a managing partner, we're looking for people who have looked at what we call shadow, the areas of yourselves that you don't want anybody else to see, but somehow everybody sees it anyway, right? We're looking for people who've done their work on their trauma or wounding. And so they show up differently. They show up with more compassion or with more care with their clients. And so what we look for are people who do those kind of things and are willing to be vulnerable in our community so that they can, we can all learn from each other. And so one of the things I, I say about leaders is that if leaders allow themselves to be vulnerable, they'll lead better. And so at Evolution, we, we do our own work in front of everybody else with everybody else. So it's like we're not trying to elevate ourselves like, oh, we're some special guru that just has it all figured out because I can tell you right now, I do not. <laughs> I do not have it figured out. I just do the best I can and I help people as best I can. So far, it has been, it has been useful for a number of folks. And you've had a story career. Yeah. 
And I want to wrap this uh, episode with uh, one last question for you. So sure. as you know, my podcast is about helping professionals overcome career obstacles to get them to the next level. What has been one big challenge throughout your career that you had to overcome to get to where you are today? Well, I mean, the ultimate thing has been people believing that I couldn't do the job based on what I look like. You know, I'm, you know, you, you can see me, I'm a, a, an older, very bearded guy, right? And people make assumptions, especially because I'm African heritage and Asian heritage, and my mother is South Asian from Trinidad, my father's Jamaican African heritage. There's an assumption that I'm not capable. And that has actually been useful for me, but it has limited me in a lot of ways. And I'll tell you how it's been useful. People underestimate me and go, oh my God, you can do this. I'm like, that's right, I can. <laughs> but it has limited it because sometimes you don't get to be in those positions when they think about, well, prior, certainly, say, 10 years ago, when they're thinking about who to promote, who to elevate, I was definitely not one of those people. And so I have learned to, to work with that, to deal with that, to grieve, pay attention, overcome. And that's what allowed me, certainly in the last, say, 12, 15 years to move to a place where I can be a managing partner in a coaching firm with some really super amazing people and be able to hang and to be able to be a part of that collective. And speaking of which, how can people reach out to you to learn more about your story and the collective that you have right now at Evolution? Sure. Email me at stuart at evolution.team. Um, that's the best way to reach me directly. Uh, you can certainly ping me on LinkedIn, though I'm like, uh-oh, <laughs> I don't know if I want to get a lot of inbounds from LinkedIn because that could be a little bit frustrating. I don't pay attention to LinkedIn that often, by the way. So if anybody's trying to reach me there, that's probably not best. Certainly there on the website, there's ways to contact. If you go to evolution.team, you can see the kind of work we do. And that's probably the best way to get a hold of me. And I'll just say to anybody who's listening, who's looking for a job and are feeling despondent, despairing, it's okay to feel those things and keep going, especially in hard times. Just keep going because at some point, preparation is going to meet with opportunity and you'll find the thing that you want. That's great. And for you, in terms of like preparation, you're obviously going to be doing more than just my podcast. So sure. what is the main message are you, you're trying to get out as you start going to, if you haven't already started going to uh, these podcasts and spreading your message, like what are you, do you want people to learn from you as you start building your brand through podcasting? Um, about me personally, well, I'll just say that being resilient has changed my life. Working on myself has changed my life. Working on my trauma has changed my life. If you're a leader or somebody who is looking to really pay attention to who you are as a person, reach out to me. I l really love working with folks, especially who are in transitions, because there's a way that I can hold folks who are in those transitions as they move either up or out of organizations. And ultimately, I believe that business can be a force for good, but that means that we have to refine and understand what business is. It's a much different thing than what it currently is, and we can change the world if we change business to be a force for good. And that's a great way to wrap up the episode. Again, I really appreciate you taking the time, Stuart, to talk about your journey as an underdog and I wish you the best wish you the best in your business as we wrap up 2022. Super appreciate being out here Max. Thank you for inviting me. 
Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here's three ways I can help you achieve your career goals for free. First, subscribe to this podcast as I post two episodes a week. Number two, leave a five-star review as this helps build the credibility of the show so we can gain access to more influential people to interview and bring those lessons to you to help elevate your career. And number three, connect with me on social media. There's a link in the show notes for you to click on that compiles all my active social media accounts, making it easy for you to find me and connect with me. Thank you again for listening and until next time. Thank you.